Do last Rite's questions seem like a mystery? Well, we're probably going to talk about it here at Appalachian Liturgy. Important questions like, are you a Jedi or an Imperial? Is oatmeal actually a breakfast cereal? Is a Catholic weekday really called a ferial? Did you know that Mr. Rogers was Presbyterial? So join us as we have a little fun talking about thy kingdom come. Welcome, everyone, to the Appalachian Energy Podcast. I am Justin Stacy. I'm the Reverend Brooke Atchley. And I'm Justin Bowling. And tonight, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back, everyone. It's been such a long time. You know, it, it feels like forever yeah. at this point. Forever. That, that, was, the, that was the longest Lent ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, yes, in a lot of ways it was. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we, we've we've had a, a hiatus, um, but you know, it I, it was a pretty good break. I I know I I myself I've dove into a lot of things and and found out that uh, I'm decent at art <laughs> over the break. So you know, a lot been going on on my end. But uh, yeah, I think that's what we want to talk about first. Kind of what's been going on over the past couple months for us. Shoo, we, there's been a lot. You mean since we took our hiatus? Yeah. Bowling, you want to start? Jeez, I have to think. Uh, <laughs> I know, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so well, much. I mean, uh, we, we hit the kind of the prime of uh, sports season here, you know, with the mm -hmm. uh, running around with four kids. So we've had soccer season going on pretty much every night, some kind of practice or some kind of game or something. They still have them split up more so than they did in the past. So we have one game Monday. Somebody has practice, you know, 10 minutes later, and we're kind of jumping back and forth between all of them. But, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, over Easter, went and saw family, traveled a little bit, not too far for to go back home. Uh, we have uh, we have another First Communion coming up. I think we may have been on here during Hayden's First Communion as well. And so Isabel's is this Sunday. So that's coming up right now. So we've, uh, she's been having classes for that on Saturdays, but yeah, just a whole lot of, uh, what you'd expect for a large family running back and <laughs> forth between places. <laughs> so much fun though. It is. It's a lot of fun. Wouldn't trade it for anything, but oh my goodness, are you absolutely exhausted at the end of the day? <laughs> oh no. I, I remember those days. In, in fact, I was the other day, I was like, how did, how did we do that? Like, how did we, how did we survive all of that? So so let's see for me hudson started walking so life has changed oh, you're also not sleeping again yeah i mean you're, yes. you're going to sleep immediately yeah <laughs> yes you know it's like con constant motion now and um still not talking but still in speech therapy and some of the other communication things have caught back up to where he should be so right now he's just considered a late talker so you know some of the NICU struggles continue there um Lent and Holy Week and Easter for a clergy person. And since we're a clergy couple, it's just compounded. I mean, it is just a blur. So, um, and then the week after Easter, Easter Sunday, Easter was on Sunday and on Wednesday, Aaron's dad passed away unexpectedly. And so we have been doing all the things that go along with that grieving ourselves and just all the details and taking care of business and, and that kind of stuff. So 
it's been a crazy three weeks, Holy Week, the week of the death, the week of the funeral and all that kind of stuff. So, which is one of the reasons why we had to delay coming back was we were back and forth so much. So, yeah. Yep. How's Aaron and his family doing? Doing, doing as well as to be expected. Uh, we had some um, difficulties at the hospital. It was a hot mess um, with identification and um, losing Aaron's dad and, and just a big mess. And so there's lots of conversation going on about that. But, um, you know, I mean, to me, grief is a funny thing. So everybody does it a different way. And um, so, yeah, so I think under the circumstances, people are doing as well as can be expected. So. understand that yeah yeah so it's it's been quite chaotic on my end as well um i was diagnosed i guess late march with with an eye condition same eye condition that aaron has mm-hmm. that you've which is before. so strange because it's not a common it's not a common eye condition no it's not <laughs> it's it's the same one um you know and they haven't scheduled surgery yet but i think i've decided i am going to go ahead and have it cool um I talked to my uh, optometrist and he definitely suggested doing it. He said at my age, I think they said that the guidance has kind of changed based on age. It's really based on age. He said, if you were over 40, we would not be suggesting you do it. Mm-hmm. He said, but, but since you're under 40, you need to go ahead and do it. <laughs> so, you know, I think I am going to go ahead and do that, but they haven't scheduled it yet. And he also said, it's not something that is like pressing that you need to rush into. He said, if you want to do it late year or next year, it's fine. Like your vision's probably not going to change that much over the next year. Um, but so the, there's that. And, uh, then in April, you know, I had my birthday and, and then really it was, well, I guess it was the fourth. It would have been one, this is the one month anniversary actually of my, uh, 14 year old dog's death, uh, Peyton. And he, he had been sick for about a month. And I honestly thought he was getting dementia. Like he, he was acting weird. He didn't want to go outside anymore. He was acting scared, you know, and I was, I was thinking it was signs of dementia, but it was really just signs of he, I think he felt just bad and kind of knew, like he even stopped sleeping with, with Renee, my wife. And he always slept with her. Like since he was a pup, he's always slept with her and he just, he stopped doing it. He wanted to, to sleep by himself in the living room like that's that's a bad sign <laughs> when a dog wants to hide really mm-hmm. um so you know we had to end up put, putting him to sleep unfortunately um but then we got an, a new pup and uh, a week later <laughs> and uh, her her name is chesney and she is an augie that is an aussie um corgi mix and she's amazing She's the cutest thing ever. She, she's the cutest. Everybody wants her. She's also the sweetest thing ever, you know, uh, except when she, you know, decides to become a piranha. She's definitely part piranha because she just wants to eat your hand <laughs> off, you know, and she has a sharpest teeth. She razor blades for teeth. Because she's so, a puppy. Yeah. So, but she's just, she's a wonderful dog and she's, she's helping us get through losing Pate for sure. So th- very thankful for her. Um, and then, you know, took up a hobby of, of doing art and drawing and such, and then started another podcast. So <laughs> apparently I have all the time in the world. You know, that that's what's, that's what's happened here is I was like, you know what? I have so much free time. <laughs> so bring it on. Something. Bring it on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, that's all the goings ons, 
of what I've been doing over the past couple months. All right. So topic-wise, we, we have been wanting to do this one really since the inception of this thing. And we just, for whatever reason, never got around to it. And that is women clergy, women preachers. You know, Brooke is a testament to all this. <laughs> so we kind of want to dive into this subject because I guess it's still controversial in some denominations and some circles of Christianity. So I don't, I don't know. You want to lead us in this? Well, I do. I mean, so I grew up in a denomination that did not, and some still do not, uh, believe in women having the authority to pastor or preach or really even teach unless it was children um, or other women. And so um, me being called into full-time ministry was a huge struggle for a long time. And um, I was probably, I was doing ministry in my twenties, um, right out of college, but never in a pastoral role. It was always children's ministry or something like that. And, um, the denomination I'm in now, of course, ordains women. And in fact, today, the day we're recording, this is the 66th anniversary of the first ordination of women in um united methodist church so i think i think that was kind of cool that we're having this conversation yeah and um so in the wesleyan circles in john john wesley um authorized women from the get-go to preach and he he pointed back to the influence that his mom had and um on him and other people in their parish and you know he said i don't see why this is a problem so, but in the Pentecostal church, for the most part, women can, can preach and pastor. There's lots of denominations that, um, allow women to have those leadership roles now. So, um, but it is still a very difficult road. A lot of times I've had lots of not so nice conversations. I have been told all the places that I'm going and leading people to by, by being, um, a woman pastor. And, um, sometimes I forget that it's such a big deal, but usually I'm quickly brought back down to earth by, by a snide comment or, or not so snide comment. So, so yeah, so it's still a difficult road, a road to walk sometimes. So at what point did you, so, you know, if you grew up believing that women can't preach or can't be mm -hmm. clergy or whatever at what point was it well i mean was it when you were i guess fully in, enthralled into the the uh united methodist church or was it at some point before that um it was really so you, the first united methodist church i attended had a female pastor and um i struggled with that because i'm a as much as i pride myself on being a rebel with some things and a, a justice warrior i'm still kind of a rule follower like um if you're going into walmart or the grocery store and the door is labeled in i go in the in and i go out the out and i never do the other right like so so for me this was a little difficult and had conversations with her about that and um had conversations with other uh, united methodist clergy especially clergy both female and male and then um but still, I found myself doing what I'll say supportive roles in ministry, if you will, and knew that I was being called into ministry, had a not so great experience with 
a district superintendent. So in the United Methodist Church, if you're feeling called into ministry, you there's a couple steps that you go into, go through. And one of those is talking with your district superintendent. And this district superintendent asked me if I wanted to be a mother one day. And if and because I wanted to be a mother, he didn't think I could pastor. So that kind of set me way back because I was already questioning where how women fit into this and all this kind of stuff. So um but I really came to a peaceful peacefulness about it because I knew I was being called into ministry and that was being supported by people around me. But, you know, when you grow up in a denomination and hear something for 16 years, it's hard to just let that go. And so it really was when I was in seminary, believe it or not, and really started diving into what I'll call in-depth theological studies. Did I truly become comfortable with the role of women um, in authority in the church? So, so that's kind of how that all happened. Yeah, I was kind of curious a little bit too, if you knew some about the history of it, because I, I had to Google to see which one was the first. I thought it was the United Methodist, and it seems like it, it was. But one, so that, that was part of the question, like how it came, if you know anything about the history of it in the United Methodist Church, like the struggle at first. And the other like, part two of it is uh, you mentioned Pentecostal Church, and I always found it interesting that when you think of women preachers, Pentecostal Church is also one that comes up as well. And, and that usually kind of goes against the grain of what, you know, where they're usually associated with more conservative theological positions and I didn't know if there was any history behind that that you knew about as well. Okay, well, the Pentecostal church birthed out of the Methodist church. Um, you had the Azusa revival in California that really birthed what is considered the Pentecostal church today, um, still with Wesleyan roots. And so um, I didn't spend a lot of time studying the Methodist, you know, the issues with the Methodist church and how women became clergy in that Um spent a lot more time with like the early church and with actually John Wesley and, and those kind of things. And I just kind of skipped <laughs> the, the struggle, um, in my own denomination, you know, and, and I, and let me just say that the struggle didn't end with, um, the ordination of the first women. There are still places, even in United Methodism, churches that have never had a female pastor who refuse a female pastor, um, who, you know, really struggle with that and are uncomfortable with that. So there's, the struggle is still there. It's just not as large as it used to be. So yeah, but in the early church, it was no big deal for women to be in leadership and people always want to point to Paul's writings about women. Right. And, um, if you look at those writings and you look at to whom they're writing and what was going on in that time period, um, you see that it was that that wasn't meant to be a blanket statement. He was talking about specific women in that context who were priestess and prophetesses of a pagan religion that were losing all of their power in the community. And so because the community was was rapidly becoming Christian. So they were prostitute prophets. In other words, um, 
folks would come in and sleep with them for their blessing on their crops or, or whatever. So they converted, if you will, to Christianity and started teaching in the church. And because of the position they'd held previously, they were given a lot of power and influence and were really leading churches and people down a path that was contrary to Christianity. Um, so, so those commands were very, for a very specific situation and time and place. And when you look at scripture of a whole, you see all kinds of women throughout scripture, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well, who have held positions of authority and were prophets and um, all kinds of different things. And so we tend to say they made an exception, but, you know. Yeah, the, the scriptures that you're talking about, I actually had it pulled up because I was going to bring them up. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually going to preface that you you must hate Paul or something, but you didn't give me the chance. So <laughs> but, so the first Corinthians 14, uh, 34, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak at church. That's first Corinthians 14, 34, 35. Mm-hmm. And then first Timothy two, um, 11 and 12, uh, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over man. She must be quiet. And then 13 for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Mm-hmm. So those are, I guess, the, the controversial yeah, writings. They are, you know, and but in other places, Paul in his salutations, you know, applaud the teaching and the preaching of women in those churches. And so, you know, it, it's like anything with Paul, you've got to know the context of what's going on. Um, so there's lots of things that, you know, Paul says, oh, no, you know, and then in the next letter, he's like, oh, yes. And, yeah, it, it <laughs> seems know. contradictory or a paradox if you don't yeah. understand the the actual context of it. Mm-hmm. I do, you know, I mean, Peter literally says that Paul writes in a confusing way in a lot of his writings, you know, like people <laughs> will twist them to mean something else. Like he says that that's ex- explicitly in the Bible as well. <laughs> so yeah. I know at, at least in... Uh, my tradition, I've, I've heard people, at least online, on social media, yeah. in, in the Episcopal groups that I'm in, they, they really dislike Paul. And it's for, it's for things like this. And I mean, to the point where a lot of people's like, we just don't read the epistles, period. Like it's gospels, it's Old, Old Testament, probably ignore some of the Old Testament too, because it's for the same reasons. But it's like, it's Old Testament and, and the gospels, and that's it. We follow Jesus, not Paul. And I've heard that statement from other people too. We follow Jesus, not Paul. And it's because of these, basically these, and and maybe some other controversial statements that he said. I I do wonder if if there is something to the idea that, you know, Paul is a first century Jew. That 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 was where he came from. And he lit he lived in Rome. Could could there have been some patriarchal beliefs? that he would have oh. adopted. I mean, without uh, no, doubt. first century AD was the most egalitarian uh, right. place. Um, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess that's what I'm getting at is I, th- I feel like he could have actually believed some of these things. And that's for first century, you know, Judaism, Christianity, that was typical. And, and that I'm not going to say, okay, but that was, that was the modern morality of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's with anything in those books and those epistles that are written 
um, by any of those, you have to filter that through the teachings of Jesus, you know, and you have to remember it is half of a conversation, (laughs) you know, and so many of our writings, if you were to pick up letters that we'd written back, Aaron and I'd written back and forth and only had my version of it, you could have probably, you could probably paint a whole picture that is terribly incorrect um, and, and assuming a lot of stuff. So I'm not ready to throw the Paul's writings, even his writings about women out completely. Um, I think, you know, if it had been a group of men who were leading the church down the wrong path and they were teaching false teachings, I think Paul would have called that out as well. Um, so, so yeah, it's a difficult thing, you know, and people want to accuse you of cherry picking scripture to follow. And, you know, one of the things that I always put, look at is this, is it producing fruit? Because if this is contrary to God's will, it will not produce fruit. It won't produce long lasting fruit. It won't produce fruit. So, um, and that's a little, that's a little bit of a slippery slope, but I think in arguments like this, you can, you can say, okay, you're not just judging the scripture by a specific person, but as a collective whole, you know, um, and it's not the only litmus test that you might use for this, for these passages. Yeah. And I think it's anybody who's wanting to, and I think that's why Paul gets a, a bad rap sometimes is the people that use Paul as like a proof text to throw somebody in, you know, without any context at all, just pick one verse out of something he wrote to a specific person or to a specific church that were dealing with specific issues. Kind of like Brooke was saying, you're not seeing exactly where they are in any other previous conversations that they've had with him and what Paul may be addressing directly here. But the people that like to throw those as a proof text that, you know, you're definitely going to hell, Brooke, I feel like usually will ignore half the verse themselves too, because like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that, I mean, Paul didn't say, the uh not to just let somebody be a pastor he said i don't permit a woman to teach so like do you have any women teachers right like and and lots of times that's the case is that they'll you know say well no he meant by teaching he was just you know that was something for that specific time or something like they're they're very quick people are very quick to uh see context in it when it meets their needs but not see the context in it when it meets with whatever proof text they're going you know wanting to use it for against you yeah you know some of the very people that will argue very uh forcibly against women being in pastoral leadership you know will talk about their accolades at their churches or whatever you know and i'm always struck at how many of those folks have been divorced or have you know and according to paul (laughs) you know you shouldn't be allowed to serve in those ways either um so so i think you're right in that that you know we do choose to to look at these things and say how does this fit my narrative um how does how how does these what scriptures can i use to uh support what i want to believe so not directly related to this subject, but you, you hit a soapbox of mine that I'm gonna have to uh, uh, argue about. You're talking about you know, producing <laughs> producing fruit. I feel like that gets used overused sometimes as a proof mm-hmm. that you can do whatever you want. Because if you right. do something that's popular and you get people in the church, like, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm preaching the prosperity gospel. Look how many people come to my church. It's producing fruit. Therefore, I'm clearly doing the right thing. 
Like, <laughs> I know that's yeah. not how you're using it. You're, you're, you're talking yeah. more in a, uh, a long-term uh, kind of yes. thing and looking yes. over generations. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to add yeah. some context to that because uh, yeah. I've, I've seen it. You misused so many times. That Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think one of, one of the issues that we run into is a lot of people like to read scripture with rose colored glasses on mm. and they, and when they think of it being, you know, the Holy spirit inspired or however you qualify it, then it means there's no flaws to be found in this thing, which means the actors in it, the people who have been, been wrote about or are writing can't have flaws either. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. <laughs> like, like we're, we're getting the full story of all of these characters. You know, the only one that I think you can definitely say that there's no flaw there is Jesus Christ himself. Right. Other, we're getting, you know, the full picture of all the other characters. So, you know, it, it doesn't bother me a bit to say that maybe some of the things that we're seeing in Paul's writings was actually flaws of being a first century patriarchal Jew. I'm okay with saying that. And it doesn't bother me at all. Like, yeah, and I, I still follow Paul's writings. I still I think, think there's, th- sorry. No, you're okay. Ahead. I think that the date, you know, when people hear you say things like that, and, and I get this pushback all the time, their big argument is, well, you're throwing it out, you know, you know you, you're cherry picking. I don't know that you're doing that. I think you're just saying, how does this fit in with what we know about who Jesus is? And even in those passages that we find problematic of Paul, you know, whatever those may be, there are still biblical truths that we need to discover in those. You know, for me, the, the passages about the women, it's not so much about their gender necessarily, but about how they were behaving or what they were doing and or what they were teaching, right? I mean, Paul was talking to a specific group of people. I mean, if you are in the Christian Twitterverse right now, there are some male pastoral folks that are just being railroaded. And I have no idea whether this is for good reason or for bad. So I'm not going to debate that with anybody. But, you know, it'd be like saying these, these pastors that are male that have done damage and done all these things, that means then no man should, should have pastoral leadership. You know, so you've got to be careful in that you don't take something that's meant for a specific group of people and apply it to the entire gender or an entire race or whatever. Um, the problem is in our in our modern context, in our especially in our politics now, we apply specific things to everyone. Right. You know, we, we make enemies ever, out of everybody. And, and I believe we just do that with scripture, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and what I will say about, you know, I always find it interesting when um, people tell me, you know, that they can't come to our church because there's a woman pastor or um, they're, I, I'm leading people to hell or I'm going to hell or whatever. Um, it's so interesting to me that they consider themselves to be very non-judgmental a lot of times. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think you know what that means. Um, no, I think you're confused. It's one of those, uh, that's one of those, uh, 
keys that you're about to say something very judgmental, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm not a racist, but, or I'm not judgmental, but you know, whatever right. you're about to say after that is about to be the exact opposite of what you said you weren't. <laughs> the other thing that I find interesting is people will say things like, I really don't want, believe in women pastors, but I'll make an exception for you. Or, you know, you're different, different, how different, you know, what are you talking about? Like, you know, um, so that's always interesting to me is how people will say that, or people will say, well, we don't want another woman pastor because we had one and she wasn't very good. Really? So every male pastor you've had in your life has been great, you know, or she wasn't a very good preacher. You know, she was a great pastor, but not a very good preacher. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of males in my life that I would put in that category, but I'm not going to, you know, just say, eh, I don't want to. Um, it is kind of so. interesting how most people, I would, I would put most people in this category where you believe something you, 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 you would die on that hill until it becomes personal and you form a relationship with, with whoever it is that you had that belief against. And then you change, you make the exception. Well, well, if you're going to make the exception for whoever this person is, then maybe you shouldn't have the belief to begin with. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, you know, and the funny thing is, is people will say, well, but I'm sure that's, that scripture wasn't meant for you. So how, who's cherry picking now? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> in the footnote, it said, except Brooke. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, personally, I can see, I, I mean, I, on plain reading, I can see how this is controversial and oh, I can absolutely. see how people get confused with this. I, I really can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy, you know, and it's in the new Testament. And pe so even people who think the old Testament doesn't apply anymore, will say, but it's in the new Testament. Well, yeah, you know, you know, but I always look back to Jesus and, um, the way Jesus did things and, and who Jesus empowered to speak and teach and you know when he set sent his disciples out two by two we know that, that included women um so i mean jesus is sending women out to spread the gospel and if jesus can do it i don't think paul can tell us that it's wrong um amen i agree so, with that so now bowling the, yep i was just gonna say bowling what what since you're in a tradition that what do you you do you all consider yourself complementarian? Like, is that a term that you the Catholic Church uses, or I think they would probably uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry, I got tied up in words. <laughs> I think they would probably uh, agree with like the strict definition of complementarian. Not really like how it gets you know used and misused right. a lot. And but yes, so, I think they would. I mean, complementarian is basically that there there's gendered roles. So, so it's not that women aren't equal. It's that there's specific roles for women in the church that doesn't include teaching, preaching, or whatever. It, it's, you know, I guess... Well, more I, I would the, uh, back up a little bit there. I mean, it's not that the teaching or even preaching, I guess, depending on what your definition is, like that's... Mm -hmm. Like the error... At, at our church, women pretty much run 99% of the church. <laughs> like when our RCI director, the teachers in that are, uh, all, is, have all been women since I've been there. Then I teach Sunday school. I'm the only guy teaching Sunday school besides, you know, a bunch of other women. So it's not that there's no teaching by women. It's mm -hmm. just the, the, uh, the view of the church is that they 
don't believe that Christ gave them the authority to ordain, ordain women as priests is kind of the end, end of it. Not that women can't be, even don't, don't have the ability to be priests or something, just that they don't believe that that authority was given to them. And and do they, I mean, it, it, does this stem from Paul's writings or do you, do you know? I mean, it's obviously related, Like that's some of the, is going to be something that they would point to the uh, uh, thought. I mean, obviously Catholics are known for high, holding Mary in pretty high mm-hmm. esteem and a lot of the early uh, followers of Christ, as Brick mentioned, and people that were sent out were obviously women as well. But the, the church's view is that none of, no women were made apostles by Christ. So therefore we can't go where Christ didn't go as kind of their their view of it it's a limitation and not necessarily more so something that isn't inherently able to be done by women i mean technically the office of being in in the person of christ is also not inherently able to be done by men either like that's not something that we have the ability to do just by being a man it's just you know that's what christ has chosen but uh along those lines too that's kind of the same thing i was going to I guess, say slash ask, I feel like there's a difference between somebody who might come to a that conclusion versus somebody who's already at a conclusion and just wants to throw proof texts in your face. And also like, you know, that th- there's, there's a different way to come to a, a conclusion that's more respectful of people rather than, you know, already having the conclusion in your head and just wanting to shove it down somebody's throat. Yeah, I'm always intrigued. And this isn't just, in ministry i mean i hear it from some of my other professional friends i'm still puzzled by the idea that other people that people give for women not being able to serve in certain roles that aren't scripture based right well they're too emotional so how can a woman pastor how can a woman be present in emotional situations because they're going to be too emotional you know um how can a woman give marriage advice to a man I'm sorry. How can a man give premarital advice to a woman? I mean, <laughs> I love those that are like not even put any thought into it all. It's like, yeah, just, I'm like, uh, <laughs> what? I'm, you know, so those things are always strike me as, as just kind of interesting. And what I will say is um, some of the most venom that has been spewed at me have come from women. And, um, and, and if you talk to almost any clergy person or female clergy person, they're, they're going to say pretty much the same thing that men kind of come around a little faster on this idea than women. And, um, and I don't have an answer for that. And I don't know why, but, but it seems to be a stronger feel. And so a lot of times when I have been in situations where men have been expressing concerns or that's maybe a nice word for it. A lot of times it's the woman behind the scenes kind of pushing, pushing the buttons saying, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't like this. I don't, you know, um, so, so the, there's, there's all these different facets of being a female clergy. There's the theological side, right? And most of the time I can get people to at least consider the theological arguments pro women in serving ministry. The practical stuff sometimes is what's really a mess. Like I can remember um, one of my female colleagues saying that the SPRC chair, which is our like staff parish relation and trustees chair, some of these, you know, bigger offices in the church, they were upset because she was a woman because she couldn't go golfing with them. 
yeah, well, women can golf, first of all, if you didn't know, you know, and not every man plays golf. Um, so it's just been, it's been interesting. Some of those kind of things that, that come at you, um, for why people wouldn't want a woman pastor. So, you know, I hadn't considered that before, but um, that golf is kind of a <laughs> the deal breaker. That's a, that's a killer. No, it's a deal breaker. <laughs> you know, well, what is she going to do if her children get sick and on a Saturday night? Well, what does, you know, so there, there's still a lot of that kind of argument beside just the scriptural, the theological arguments. I mean, it's, it can be nuts. Um, yeah. So I follow this. Well, I don't, I guess I don't follow, but she's been on my suggested TikTok videos. She's a reverend and she cusses a lot. That's kind of her thing. Is yeah, the cussing, the cussing the cu- lady preacher. Th- that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's, a, I think she's a priest. She wears a priest thing Preacher's a lot. And so I've, I've been watching some of her videos and she, she said that one of the things that she finds, I guess the most, crazy about being a, a woman preacher is how much she gets hit on yeah so here's the thing being married to a, a clergy person right that's obviously a male i do not and i push back on women all the time it is not just the female clergy that get hit on mm. it is crazy the things that has happened to aaron that would would blow your mind from women i mean like it's a running joke sometimes in our family about the inappropriate comments that are made either to him or to us about him. Um, so I push back on the fact that I don't think that's just a female clergy thing, that that's a clerk, but I will talk about her wearing a collar. A lot of female clergy wear vestments mm-hmm. um, because we don't get the respect that others do when they go places so like if we're doing a hospital visit a lot of times women will wear their clergy collars because it's an immediate recognizable symbol Mm. you know um and that makes a lot of sense i swear i've noticed before in the past that it seems like it you know women clergy do seem to wear it more often but never even like cross my mind to think of why but that makes that makes yeah. I mean, I've had hospitals argue with me whether or not I was actually clergy or not. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, seriously, I'm like, listen, I'm credentialed out the wazoo. I have degrees. I mean, it's, you know, my ordination process was like a six year process. And you're letting a guy go in that just walked up to the altar and somebody put their hands on them and said, yay, verily you're ordained and you're not letting me in. <laughs> you know, like what? So, um, but yeah, so that's that's why a lot of women, a lot of women do. And I have thought about it in the past. I've never had to pull the trigger. I haven't felt the ne- the need to, but I could see why why they do that. Yeah. So I mean, and even in our own denomination, when you go to buy a stole, all the stoles are made for men. Um it, you can't get a, a tailored stole for a woman. Um, so the shoulders are really wide. I mean, it's kind of comical sometimes. Like my stole falls off my shoulder because it's like this wide and I, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, so, um, but there's all kinds of crazy mean things that happen and just then crazy frustration, frustrating things. 
Is there anything about the role that you think is more difficult for a woman to do? Uh, I think all of it. (laughs) I mean, and, and I feel like, well, that may not be fair, but I think I have a unique perspective because I'm married to a male clergy person. So the struggles, and he would say the same thing. Like if I'm in a meeting and I'm in charge of that, okay, well, let me put it this way. Every ministerial group that I'm a part of is always male dominated. Okay. So I'm always way in the minority. Um, There could be 12 men and two women or whatever. um, And everybody always wants me to be the secretary of the group. Like, I'm not even kidding. And every woman clergy would tell you that. Um, Just because I'm a woman does not mean I'm good at taking notes. And I feel like I would almost be the exact opposite. I'd be like, who's going to be the secretary? And I can't ask Brooke. It's going to be awful if I ask Brooke. I can't. can't." (laughs) You know, I mean, but it it is crazy. I mean, even in the county that I came from, that we all know, um, I was the only woman clergy for, in fact, in fact, our ministerial association in that county disbanded over the idea of women clergy for many, many years. So now it's a ministerial association, but it's not just clergy people who are part of it. But um, so, yeah, it was just assumed that one of the women would be the secretary and it's assumed that the leader would always be a male. Um, So I think that's really difficult. I think sometimes uh, people don't share things with female clergy because they don't want to burden them because they feel like they're weak or that they can't handle that. But the opposite sometimes is true. So couples who are having fertility issues or lose a child or um, some of those things find comfort for the most part um, with women clergy. And um, so, so, but I think Overall, the whole thing is just more difficult. And I'll give you another example. Aaron would never, never be expected to bring a covered dish or provide food or anything like that. But the assumption is that me as a female clergy will do all of those things. I will be involved in all the women's groups, all the children's ministries, everything, Um, you know, and so in that way, I think it makes it more difficult. They would never expect Aaron to show up at children's group or help in the nursery, but they would expect me to do that. So in addition to everything else, I would be expected to do all those things. So not just that you're doing a traditional male role and taking on a lot of the stuff there, but you're also still expected to bring on. continue doing any yeah yeah that sounds fun (laughs) so basically some of the same stereotypes that we have in the culture and we have in business it's it's there in the church for women yeah especially with the way women dress you know um for men it's pretty easy you put on a suit no big deal but a lot of my colleagues will not preach without their robes because they don't want to hear what happens and you know it's not uncommon to hear women clergy say things like oh I got feedback today on the sermon 
And it was about what I had to wear or, or that I had on or that my haircut was distracting and could I do something different or, um, so there's a lot of that that goes along, along with that. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But, you know, thank God for women preachers like you. <laughs> well, women preachers and male preachers. I mean, there are good women pastors and there are bad women pastors. There are good male pastors and there are bad male pastors, you know. Um, so, so if you've had a female pastor and you didn't like her, don't write us all off because I'm positive you've probably had a male pastor that you didn't like and you didn't write all of them off. So, although that is kind of starting to happen a little bit. I mean, people are starting to say, oh, I'd rather have a female. It doesn't happen a lot, but it is, it is starting to happen. All right, good stuff. Well, we've talked for a bit, so I guess, I guess we can kind of wrap it up there. So thank you, Brooke, for sharing your story. Yeah. So I guess quick, quick show update. You know, we, and I announced this already on social media, but we are moving to a two week cycle. So, you know, this will be every, every other week. So, um, and also please check out our YouTube page and subscribe and, and like our video. That would help us out greatly. Hit that like button. Hit that like button. Smash that like button. Smash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it was it was great being back and catching up. So yeah, I miss you guys. I know. Yeah. Well, we'll have a we should have a busy busy year going forward. <laughs> All right. Well, peace be to you, and have a good night. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really hope you got some enjoyment out of the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like our videos, and share with someone that you may know. Also, please follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, we have a Teespring store, so check that out as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Appalachian Liturgy Podcast.